Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we have a more casual chat with some of our friends, former guests, and industry pals. Today, our special Halloween episode. I thought it would be cool to bring back a pair of filmmakers who won the first Project Greenlight with their horror script, Beast, which ultimately became a trilogy for Dimension. They're responsible for a bunch of the Saw movies, the Collector series, and their newest film, The Neighbor, is out now on demand and Blu-ray, DVD. Clearly, they know a thing or two about scaring people. Hey, it's Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton. Thanks for coming on again, guys. Good morning. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you guys? This uh, great October morning. <laughs> um, it's, the be- it's the best month. And I, I read an article that, it, am I right, that there's really only one Halloween movie release, right? Like scary movie in a Ouija 2 this month in October? Is, is that right? That's, I mean, I haven't seen any specific articles about it but uh i know that's the only trailer i've seen which is isn't that something yeah yeah well i guess people say, will just have but to go, come on go do by the really for the need, neighbor but do you need more than ouija 2 <laughs> <the entire month? laughs> that i don't know well if, if it's if it's twice the fear and twice the fun then it's really like getting a couple movies that's that was I was thinking, like, when we were talking kind of before this, it reminded me how, when you know, it wasn't that many years ago where you would see the month of October, and it was like, oh, oh yeah, we can't open our scary movie this Friday because that studio has their big scary movie, and it's like something shuffled in the deck where, uh, I don't know how, playing it so far out, uh, this summer was excellent. You could actually see a scary movie almost every other weekend mm-hmm. in the multiplex. Uh, but then it was like someone left the month of October uh, out out to dry. Like, hey, how about us? You know, the month that's about scary movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we, but the thing, is, the thing is, you know how everyone, like, whatever, six months ago, we're like, oh, it's going to be this, 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 and then slowly they drop off, they drop off, they drop yeah. off. And, you know, they don't, they don't happen. Because I mean, there was at one point it was, and I guess maybe, you know, who knows? We'll see if we actually get it. But it's supposed to, we're supposed to be like a there's supposed to be a, a, a Friday the 13th. There's supposed to be a there's supposed to be a Halloween. There's supposed to be you know there's supposed to be a bunch. So well that's the thing. Uh, like, let's look at and next October. Happen. Next October. Yeah. Well, if, again, if you're doing next it. October. Yes, I mean, but I'll you're doing, like, you're oh, doing exactly what I said. This. Yeah. <laughs> and then nothing is made. Plan it that far out. And blah blah blah. That's right. Well, oh, like three yeah. months ago, people should have been like, let's make a Friday the 13th movie and then just do it. Right. Well, now that, since there is no, uh, there's just Ouija 2, which um, I haven't seen. But... I, don't think it's, I don't think it's called Ouija 2. It, it's it's called, not? Isn't it called something else? Isn't it called? Oh, did they? Yeah. Called uh, like, Ouija 2 Electric Boogaloo? Well, because the trailer looks awesome. Past, yeah. So it's not really a 2. It's like more of a... You know, it's like, isn't it my, more of like an origin type story thing? Because it looks more like a... Uh, I, I believe you know, so. Like period it's thing. a cool... Yeah, period piece. Period and it, and mm-hmm. the Im- imagery looks great. It looks yeah. like it looks really, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, so it's kind of nice. Like, okay, that, that movie now really has a chance to get eyes on it and, and, be, and be lauded because it also isn't... There's not a dog pile of things. Whereas... You might you might look at next year or next Halloween, next October as being we'll probably have an overflow because we'll be like, whoa, everyone left <laughs> this month wide open. So then then we'll have like right. back to the two or three a weekend, and and you, you lose some things in the shuffle along the way. Uh, but it's it's but now well where, where there is horror is officially dead. You did know that, right? You didn't see that. But oh gosh, I, I think that is irony. I think that has to be like in the in the stockpile, kind of along uh, along the lines of if you look at OK Go, Us, and Star Magazine, they kind of just trade headlines like celebrity divorce, <laughs> shocking split, and right. oh, but officially it's over. Like, yeah, it's like wait, it has, it's barely been five minutes since. The, the biggest summer for horror and and recent or many a memory has just <laughs> concluded. Like, wow, Done. yeah, lights out and Conjuring Two within a month of each other, just hitting grand slams and the ball still. What about Don't Breathe Australia? 
and don't breathe. Coming right. in and cleaning house in August. Or the, is not about the shallows? Dead. The shallows. Shallow? No. <laughs> Come on. Nothing, Come on. Sha- nothing shallow about the tidal wave of success. Was it shark? <laughs> oh, that one? Um, yeah. No, and people have been scaring each other since caveman times, probably, and sitting around the campfire telling scary stories, you know? <laughs> so. Or just... Absolutely. Cave, cavemen speak boo, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, remember, after that really Ooh. great round of, cave, of caveman campfire stories, there was that one campfire where they're like, you know, boo is dead. Right. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? The last so campfire. Yeah. No, it... it I don't know. It always works. Nope, dead. I read okay. it on cave drawing, right? That cave drawing. I've seen that drawing before. <laughs> Who is dead? Uh, dead? Well, since since horror is is there's only the Ouija prequel mm. out this month for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about The Neighbor, which people can see on demand and get on Blu-ray DVD. What's what's it about? For those listeners who haven't seen it yet. Tell them a little bit about The Neighbor and uh, why they should have it at their Halloween party or just watch it to scare themselves in the month of October. Well, oddly enough, with the lack of overwhelming, um, let's say, marketing and and bigness in in a multiplex horror market, it is giving uh, other titles that have to compete with a smaller release, with more word of mouth, where... In some cases, it'd be like our, our marketing budget seems to consist entirely of Bill Engvall and Josh Stewart's Twitter and you know Instagram account. <laughs> it it, has, it has a chance to punch through. And what's kind of nice about that, that for a while there, I think we reached a, a breaking point of being force-fed what we wanted to see. It was like, you're going to see this. You're going to see this, you know, insert blockbuster title here because you saw it on your cereal box in front of every you know, web page you went on, it was a banner, it was in between every commercial. Whereas now the word of mouth has to do it. Now it's the colleague, it's the friend, it's the one person that you trust to be like, I wanna see something scary tonight, what do you recommend? Well, check this out. Right, so it's that the Filmmakers Money where... podcast right now, talking about their film. Well, yeah, it, it, that's that's what's well, that's what's nice. So, like right. Patrick and I had to had to take a pretty calculated risk in that the neighbor isn't an outright horror movie. This right. is this is our this is our chance to explore the rules of a thriller. Right, so we we brought together our friends, our favorite colleagues, uh, in, in the form of Josh Stewart, in the form of a fortress who produced our collector movies. Uh, that would be Brett Forbes and Pat Rosati. And we snuck out uh, to the south with uh, Bill Engvall, who delivered a an absolutely new version of himself in right. the form of our, our shady, uh, shady epicenter of evil, and to tell a story of two compromised factions. They, uh, uh, what if you were a drug trafficker and you ran afoul of somebody with a far worse and far more desperate skill set? And it tells the story of how these two people who have a strict set of guidelines for what they feel is bad and what their yard is, and they invade each other's secrets and find out that, oh, depending on that which moment and which moment that they face each other, they may not be the worst person in the room, but the stakes keep escalating over a night that I don't want to give anything away, but holy cow. Right. <laughs> your, your secret may not be the darkest one in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was very nice because this is, it's a story near and dear to us because that, that, this was also a screenplay that, that changed our lives. It was one that, uh, speaking of feast, um, came together and and sold uh, 10 years ago. Oh, wow. um, I know that. Yeah. It was the first, uh, first spec, first spec sale. Yes. Wow. And it, it, it allowed us to join the union. It allowed us to, to, to really change, like, we, change, change, change our lives, really, actually. I think about it. Yes. You know, it did. A- ab- absolutely. It did. And, and it was, it was, and over the years, like, this isn't, it's not the easy, um, hey, this has got the hot teens and it's going to reduce the one gal to a tank top and then we throw a bunch of blood on her and that. Yeah. No, we had to build from a different type of story engine. And the thriller story engine means you're spending some uh, a real estate of story and developing these characters and building tension through performance and through staging and the camera becomes the predator. And then when it does become violent, 
thank goodness we have had these last 10 years uh, pushing on the boundaries of horror so we knew how far we could go uh, to really bring an intensity that wasn't necessarily gore-reliant but could be an alchemy of this performance, of this sort of passionate desire to get this story made Mm -hmm. and something that feels uh, current because we've never stopped tweaking it and making it more and more personal along the way. So the the fellows that sold it, you know, uh, a while ago, uh, Patrick is now a father of three and, and, and married and whatnot, and it's all of that imbued into the characters. So their their sense of family, their sense of honor, their what they have and they have to lose uh, really came into play. So when it, it all came together, uh, it, it really ignited into something that we're so proud of. And my gosh, the reactions have been awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And like you'd said, it's I didn't know that it was the first script you guys had sold, which is puts a whole different spin on it. But it definitely mm-hmm. like I was going to try to ask you about because it did feel more like a thriller that had horror elements than a sort of a straight up horror film. I mean, there's still those cringeworthy moments, but it's also really tense and intense. And so I was going to talk to you about, you know, sort of making that not transition necessarily because they're very, you know, similar genres. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, thrilling moments in, in like the collector series and the stuff like that. But to kind of, you know, make it less of a horror film and more of a thriller, I, yeah. I, I was going to talk to you about that. But since it's your first spec, well, well, the thing is, go ahead. The thing is, it, it's actually, I guess, technically Feast is the first one we sold. But this was the first because that, that was a contest. Oh, but right. This right. Was a spec, but the spec version was very was different from what sure. this movie is. The spec version was like. Uh, don't give anything away, but like it, the the neighbor had this. What was it? I guess it was like this smut film for, or snuff films for hire. Like he would do the, like he would essentially, if you wanted to have a snuff film name, he would make it. And, oh. And and so and so, so that's what our lead character realized was happening next door. But so when we had the opportunity to make this, though, we were very mindful of what we've done in the past and mm-hmm. sort of what we want to do in the future, and sort of and also what sort of in right now like when we wrote that it was uh like um i mean like hostile and the first saw had just come out and so you know it was just the 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 horror landscape and the film landscape was just a little different and so it worked at that time but it just felt a little bit um you know uh sort of passe now so we changed it to what it is now and 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 really we're mindful of making more of a sam peckinpah type thriller as opposed to, you know, something that's more hardcore. Right, right. Um, speaking about The Neighbor, the actor mm-hmm. who played the creepy neighbor, who was super creepy, Bill Engvall, was one of the blue-collar comedy guys. Uh, obviously, a comedian in a very different role for Bill, <laughs> um, to say the least. Why did you pick Bill for a role like that? I mean, he's so out of character. And what made you guys think, oh, we got to cast Bill Engvall for this guy? <laughs> Um, well, the, well the, that came down to the location. The first, uh, that first draft was set in a, in a border town, and it, it kind of was going to pit um, an idyllic side of one landscape and an arid, dry community where things can blend in and almost everything has a heat signature, so there's a blur about it. But when uh, over its, its rewriting and over its recrafting and really re just reforming it into something more personal to what we knew and where we grew up, we were bringing it closer and closer to the Midwest and ultimately the South. So then the, the idea of every character within the story is wearing a disguise of some sort. Mm-hmm. They may look like the law-abiding citizen, but they harbor uh, another mechanism within themselves to function, something that what they do in the dark, in this case, is brought to the light, as a Johnny Cash lyric may say. So when it came to casting Troy, there was a desire to take someone who had a, a, a natural ability to perform, but one that perfectly fit the skill set of what Mr. Ringvall can do and does. In real life, he is uh, a marvelous husband and protective father and provider. And so he built you know, his, his life on going into any dark room of strangers, standing before them, and no matter what kind of day he had, great, bad, awful, just got slammed by a car, whatever, got to walk the pain out and stand, and they have to laugh. These silhouettes must laugh, and I have to turn it on, and I have to have the Cheshire grin, 
and make this happen right now, that's a switch that he could do and he perfected. And so the opportunity with this is this is that's the gentleman who's about town. That's the, the character that everyone sees in the world of this movie. And we wanted to take that switch, that affable, genuine soul and see what happens when we flip it the other way. Mm-hmm. And he was so willing and dedicated to transforming and becoming that, that the 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 genuine nature of the nice man would be the bait and draw in the characters. And then when the switch was flipped, wow, you saw the rattlesnake that could come out. Right. Um, and there was this one one particular photo uh, right before we met for the first time and chatted, and it was you know over a, a Skype window, and someone caught him, and he was pointing into the audience, and it was it must have been a mid delivery of of a, of a of a darker punchline because there was just a look in his eye that wasn't that of the portal window, like hey, see the kindness of my soul. There was something very much sniper about it, mm-hmm. and you knew he was delivering a, a weaponized comedic moment (laughs) okay (laughs) this is a gentleman who knows how to sell humor but i bet if push came to shove he could sell hell right and did he crack a lot of jokes on set oh my gosh well that's the other thing is i I, there there could be a a version of the story where we make it sound like oh this was so (laughs) arduous and the the tent the tension on the set we we didn't we didn't just try to depict scares. We scared everybody day to day. No, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to do it. And you know, you build up the the anxiety and the adrenaline of life, and these chances can be turned into moments to let it all burst forth. So, uh, Mr. Engvall, as you know, after cut between action and cut, there it was. It was the full bore performance. At cut, it was right back to who he actually is, which is this genuine, affable soul. And he could crack everyone up, and it really set an atmosphere that did exactly what the other method may do of creating, you know, trying to make something legitimate on all sides of action and cut. But what it did was it it made everyone feel so comfortable that they could push, that it was an organic way to discover it as well. Like, hey, is it all right if I really go for it? He's like, absolutely go for it. And you had a family and you had a group of friends that was a constant support mechanism, pushing, pushing, pushing. And that allowed us to, to get this done within the, the deadlines, the parameters, and in the way that it made it more personal and, and affecting to you know, our actual history and what we wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never personally been on the film set for a horror film. Um, what is it normal to have it sort of i don't want to say lighthearted but to for it not to be grim with you know in in scenes where there's blood and gore um how do you keep that sort of lighter mood to it um in 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 an environment like that well it's it's something that is it's fiercely protected by everybody who walks in there that's kind of a kind of a nice thing. If you imagine a teeter-totter, mm-hmm. someone can bring the wrong attitude and flip it one way or the other. Uh, but in, in this case, like we've been fortunate that over time, sure. you you really just come across the people you love to work with. Right. And every day you go to work, you're seeing your friends, you're seeing your trusted colleagues, and you know that, that they are uh, absolutely as excited to be there as you are. And that, that translates to an atmosphere that, that is jovial and is fun. And you know, Patrick and I have both been on sets, uh, especially when we were just starting out and we were assistants or we were running to get Jamba Juice for people. And you just see those ones that seem to be only built on tension. And, and in true irony, most of them, they're trying to make something funny. Mm. Whereas in the case of us, they're like, wow, well, okay, we don't want that experience. Now we may be making, creating something absolutely horrifying, but we're going to have fun doing it because this is also such a, an absolute piece of our lives that we're giving away uh, and, and, and taking and, and wanting to provide and spread it you know, to other folks and then ultimately create this piece of this art piece together. Uh, well, that should be as fun and as exciting as possible. So and it, maybe, maybe just that can translate a little bit to the experience of watching it and let, let people come into the dark and have a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the main character, John, uh, played by uh, Josh Stewart, um, 
mm-hmm. he obviously, without giving anything away, has some ties to the criminal world. Um, he's uh, sort of similar to, you know, Arkin from the Collector series, you know, having a little, you know, ties to the criminal world, although, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, uh, yeah. But what is the attraction to writing these, I don't want to say John is an anti-hero like Arkin is, but, you know, these characters who have criminal underworld ties um, and do you guys have criminal underworld ties yourself that you care to share about? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> of course. Um, so, <laughs> what is what is the attraction to writing these, um, you know, anti-hero type characters, or the characters who have these criminal underworld ties? You know, narratively speaking. Uh, I think it also it may go back to something uh, that the Twilight Zone. Uh, the creep show that some of the best uh, thrillers, uh, sci-fi or horror all taught us. And that is if you have a, your lightning rod in there for the stimulus that happens, be it the frightening scenario, the thriller scenario, the even the dramatic scenario is courted by the character, not just kind of thrown at them. And here's how they deal with it. And there was a distinction in feeling where if you saw someone, a character, a movie character, who has never had so much as a pimple in their life right. and the situation happens, we don't really, I, I, it's hard to graft ourselves into that life. Like we've all, uh, everyone's authentic, actual human experience uh, does take a hit, does get cut, does have to heal from something. And in the case of, uh, uh, of the horror movie and the thriller, you can sometimes really compromise the choices a character has made. So it almost seems that this, through that, the horrific experience, the thriller experience, is a comeuppance, is the tap on the wrist from uh, the higher or lower power, as it may be. And that, I think, makes the whole engine seem more human mm-hmm. and more relatable. And if we, know, if we know the dents in their soul, that allows us a way to identify with them, you know, and e- even if it's just been an inner voice that, that has a crack or two. And in this case, when you have Josh Stewart, you can really layer on the compromise and the choices of life because he is a, is such uh, a marvelous vessel to still allow sympathy and empathy to override whatever compromises in the character's past are there. It's right. terrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I, I guess in everything we do, we just often find ourselves maybe perhaps more attracted or interested in the, that anti-villain, you know, like someone who was flawed and then who's seeing, you know, not necessarily morally flawed, but just has made some poor decisions in their life. And then, sure. they, you know, and then they uh, often run up against someone who's worse than them and that, that their morality is sort of tested, if you will, you know? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I like that well, anti-villain. <laughs> So there you go. Well, yeah. there's also something that how exciting it was in Friday the 13th part three. Mm-hmm. So we've seen one and two and we'd already been teed up in three and uh, the killer and in one particular chapter and Jason and the other two, the subsequent um, was just mowing down folks who were, you know, barely 10, 15 degrees apart from each other, save for the, the totem of innocence and, and nobility that takes them on in the end. But in three, they threw in the X Factor. There was a biker gang. <laughs> and they were something like, oh, well, these folks are dangerous in their own way, and they're survivors. And it was something within the stimulus of that movie. It was refreshingly unpredictable and had another potential source of violence. So you're kind of waiting and waiting. And at a... And at a, at a, a deliciously fun dark moment you see how that gang comes into play and even has a surprise reappearance and i thought that wow this is the most interesting interaction with jason yet because it's just not somebody seeing the same pattern of here comes a mask here comes a weapon slowly raising and the person almost in the in the puffy shoulder pad sweaters like wait what oh no and then (laughs) the bikers were like are you kidding me? F you. Wham. I'm going for it. And you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> Didn't expect that. <laughs> um, now, you wrote The Neighbor a long time ago, although obviously you had mentioned since. Uh, Rewrote it. 
yeah or, you've rewritten it um what sort of of and this is more for our, the audience members who may be writing a, a genre film uh, that want to keep it sort of budget conscious um what sort of things do you look at as you're writing or do you not take it into consideration at all you just write whatever you're going to write and then try to figure it out budget wise afterwards or do you take that into consideration when you're writing the script like i need to keep it contained or is there any sort of concern for budget as you're writing it at all oh yeah big time i mean yeah everything i mean especially now like when you're when you sort of have more knowledge of what can and will get made i mean Mm -hmm. yeah everything we do and see, and that's why, like, the neighbor was worked so well because it, it was it was very contained, and it didn't it didn't require a lot of uh, uh, locations, and it was just something that could be done for a budget. And that's why, and it's you know, because at the end of the day, you have to you have to set out to to do something that you can actually make. Like, right. and you know, so so many times, like, you know, why is the movie bad? Because often it's not been thought out well enough yet you know or as well as it could be right and so you fail you know because you don't have enough time don't have enough resources and that's just how it, that's that's the nature of it you know right the old good so, fast and yeah. cheap yeah well you know it's it's yeah it, it's if you're doing a, a studio movie and there's so few studio movies made you see well like if like ben-hur does mm-hmm. that need to cause cost as much as it did you know and that's so it's like it's like uh and that's what it was that's why it was such a failure because it cost so much money and it just didn't make enough back right but if you would have made if you would have made that for not that you could but if you would have made it for 20 million dollars then it's just you could have you it wouldn't have been as much as disastrous as it was and so like with what we're doing especially genre filmmaking it's most of them are made under five million dollars, and mm-hmm. it's just because there's and and that's that's just because there's so many examples of like the Blum movies that were done right. so cheap and made so much money that everyone else is like, oh wait, they don't have to cost fifteen million dollars like they used to uh, fifteen years ago. They can be five million dollars, no matter what it actually is. Right. So knowing that mindset, go, knowing that mindset going in, you have to sort of adjust to it. Mm-hmm. So most of the most of the lower budget type things were. Or the the straight R-rated genre stuff we're doing, uh, you kind of have to construct it in a way in your head that you can make it for five million dollars. Right. You know, for, that's just that's just how it is, unfortunately. Right. Um, there's always there's always the exception rule. Like New Line j- tends to make one movie a year that actually costs more than that, uh, like The Conjuring mm-hmm. or The Conjuring Two, but they're the only ones. Most most other p- places don't, and so that that's just sort of the the hand we've all been dealt and you just kind of, kind of got to, got to work with it. Cause if you don't, you're just going to write something that's probably not going to get made. And then, right. well, that sucks. Right. Right. So, there you go. Yeah. That's the rub. Or you have the asylum guys who do gigantic blockbuster films on a shoestring budget and the effects show. <laughs> right. Um, the right. But, uh, but they what make do, money. They, they, uh, well, I, I guess, I guess they do. Yeah. Um, those, <laughs> you know, I, those are those can be pretty miserable sets. I gotta be because it's like it's it, well, it's just like I've been on lo- really lower budget type things, and uh-huh. if you kind of know what you're doing is nonsense, uh, it doesn't necessarily bring out the best of people, you know. Right. <laughs> and and then at the end, and at the end of the day, it can be a, a bit of an empty uh, experience. Right. I've noticed for people, you know, because yeah, so, at the same time, people are paying their bills, but. You know, they have, yes, they're paying their bills, but they probably have little invested emotionally and mentally to the actual product that they're doing. It's, oh, put up a light here or make a set here and whatever. I'm on to the next one. I don't care because it's just some nonsense. And so the only person who really gets hurt by it is generally like a writer or director who, you know, is trying to use this, trying to do the best they can, but they don't have the resources. And it can can become a very frustrating, you know, um, experience doing it you know yeah i was i was sort of using it as a counterpoint to what you were saying when people don't consider budget and uh you know and yet they they have to fit whatever within these ramifications which can obviously make the quality suffer and 
you know, you point made a good point that also the crew suffers um, based on it in terms yeah. of, you know, their morale and attitude. Well, but a, a lot of times when you go to those sets, those, the crew is completely checked out. Like yeah. they, they kind of know it's nonsense and they don't really care and they'll just show up and do what they're supposed to do. And they'll do it well, you know, but there's not, it's just kind of a, a paycheck, which is, which is fine. But, you know, um, it's, but it often, it can often show in, in the actual film. You know? Right. Right. And, and the audience doesn't, doesn't give a shit. Like the audience is either it's good or it, it's not good, you know? And if it's not good, then that's pretty, who, who, whose name do I say? Oh, that's that, that guy's fault. Right. That woman's fault or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, so anyway, that's, yeah. So, and at the same time, often the, but if you do get some crew that really gives, gives, gives you everything, you know, again, it's the director who gets all the director of writers or whoever gets all the credit for it, even though it's such a contribution by everybody, you know? Right. Um, going the other direction in terms of not mm -hmm. good films to great films. I want to jump in and talk about some fun stuff. What's your guys' favorite horror films? Patrick, why don't you give us a start? What's your favorite horror well, film? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot. I mean, the ones that I always sort of, that affected me was like, you know, Halloween. Mm. Uh, first Halloween. Um, and then, you know, the thing, uh, things like, yeah, stuff like that. But often, you know how it is, and we, like, often we were talking about this, is that certain movies will affect you just because of the age and time when you see them. Right. Like, I mean, I, I remember when I first saw, like, for example, Halloween 3, and I thought it was great and so scary and creepy, and I didn't really care that Michael Myers wasn't in it or that it didn't follow the sort of timeline that they had set out in the previous two. I just thought it was scary and creepy and, and fun. And so I really liked it. Uh, and, and, and I know it was, it was considered not so great at the time, but now, now it has a resurgence because everyone recognizes it's genius. <laughs> um, so. Marcus, we got favorite uh, horror film? Suspiria. Uh, I loved it. The first horror movie that really uh, that blew my mind. That should be remade, so I think. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh I, it sounds like it's inching closer yet again to that possibility uh there's a couple it, articles this week about it needs it uh oh yeah <laughs> but it is i mean what am, I, a, am i missing what an I, inside joke here <laughs> yeah I mean, well, <laughs> just just that the spirit is being remade that's sort of the joke okay I it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's and it's bonkers even, even though it wasn't I think, remade as black black swan but still <laughs> but it is i mean a a a, a just so gorgeous Proper. and, and what, what an experience and then also uh the original creep show mm. uh, i love that because oh, yeah. it had it had a such a, a a combustion engine of innocence even though it depicted adultery and the living dead and a cockroach infestation there was a glee to it and a high sense of style and it was a celebration of, the, of how fun it is to be scared do you remember like the cereal that he he ate in it do you remember in in, in the infestation one like he had that cereal do you remember that yes yes like that that it's like the, that ruined the flakes that yeah but just like it was like you know it was like a container it was in that pretty much ruined cereal for me for a few years <laughs> after that like i said i was like oh there's something there's, there's something in there. I don't want to eat that. Did that just yeah. move? <laughs> well, I, I still from from uh, uh, Poltergeist, um, mm. the 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 drumstick. Yeah. Like I, I still don't like drumsticks because of that movie. It was so gross. Like when he <laughs> ate that drumstick, I know they had, had maggots on it and stuff. Um. Okay. What uh, What's the best Halloween costume you ever had, Marcus? The, uh, it was a, they used to have these uh, little mini futons in, in college and it was, they like, you'd just flip them out and it'd be like a, a tiny, tiny single bed or you could fold them back and it'd be like this chair. And I carved out, I carved out the foam in the center so I could wear it. And, and I went as the piece of furniture, but that backfired because at this 
the party I went to, people just kept pushing me down and laying on me. I couldn't like, ah, I couldn't get up. And then when a couple had sex on you, that was disgusting. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was. That's totally not where I expected that answer to go. Um, <laughs> and the question was your best Halloween. Co- well, I guess it was a good Halloween. Co- it may not have been your favorite, but it, it sounded like a good, like it was very convincing. It stands out in memory. Oh, yes. my goodness. Wow. Uh, Patrick, um, yeah, uh, best or favorite? Well, Halloween, best I mean, Halloween? favorite. I mean, I'm trying to think like probably like a cowboy as a child that was wonderful at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I remember in in middle school or no, it was, it was uh, elementary school, and it was uh, me and this other kid, Jonathan Rao. We were we were bums, and most of the I remember some of the teachers and staff being sort of outraged by that like inappropriate oh. that uh that a uh <laughs> that some eight-year-olds would be hobos for <laughs> that was probably the most fun and i remember we had you know, like it was this thing you had to go like you went in a circle and uh like everyone from school was out there and then you'd be like all the fairies you know come out right. and you'd have to walk around the circle and then it was all the bums <laughs> me, and, me, me and jonathan and we got kind of danced around and was like, oh, inappropriate. So that was fun. I like that one. Did you I kind of want to be the collector. What? I want to be the collector. I want to be the collector this year. I, I haven't told the market that yet, but I, I kind of want to be that. Oh, I can't believe you guys haven't. Right? Uh, well, I'm sure. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm chunky, so it's... He'd be <laughs> fat collector is even better, though. But like yeah. in the original, <laughs> show, so you'd, have to, you'd have He's like, I'm here to kill you. Yeah, it's like, oh, guess all I have to do is trot up these stairs. (laughs) Damn it. I foiled my stairs again. I remember I went to a party in in Iowa, a Halloween party, and this is when I was not portly, but I I, I was dressed as the crow, but like so were four other people. And (laughs) Dude, so all Marcus the, cr- the crow all the crows like, were like five years in a row. Keg. Oh, I love the crow. Uh, that movie is so awesome. It is. That yeah, and, and you have like thing. little crow, wide crow, tall skinny crow, and it, <laughs> just all hanging out. Crows by the keg. So you were the crow uh, one year, and you were a futon another year. Yeah, I mean after, after oh, the crow. Yeah, the, after the futon backfire, it was just right into the crow, and then you well, still it backfires gotta, again because you're at a party with four other crows. I mean, like, right. yeah, can't read all the time. But this, I remember I was one of the first time that I I I took notice of Marcus because he he was the crow, and I was like, oh sweet. And I was like, how did you get those leather pants? And he was like, oh, I didn't. I just put electrical tape around my jeans. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, it it looked great. I was like, oh. And then so the, a year later, yeah, I went. Me and some other guys went to Tiff, and I did the same thing. I took, uh, I I wrapped my pants in electrical tape, and it worked perfectly. Huh, uh, that's good to know. I mean, when you're like Better 19, than, but, that's fine. You can't do it now, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could actually, Not, because now yeah, I absolutely could. Or being, naked, you could go to Wilson's. Yeah. What's Wilson? <laughs> I was like, what? Wilson's, Wilson's in the mall. Uh huh. It was the leather Le- store. Leather shop. Oh. oh, yeah. Is that good anymore? And my, Is that still around? I don't know, but it was uh, it was like uh, the same type of leather that is used in uh, dental like, seats. I mean, it was almost oh. <laughs> bu- almost bullet resistant. So I remember mm. I I went to the when we needed uh, to raise quote unquote raise budgets for our student movies, uh, we were within fifty five minutes of a drive to uh the Riverboat Casinos. Mm. Uh also in Iowa. So the we'd all get into someone's car, drive out there and see if we could get enough. And I remember I went once and I needed to get leather pants because we were, I wanted to do a fire gag and I'd read that, oh, if you put a certain type of compound on leather, you're fine, you're safe. And I'd wear them. I wasn't going to have anyone else go through it. 
And sure enough, it worked. And so it was during Wang Chung's Everybody Have Fun tonight. For some <laughs> reason, the right the right number hit, and I scored enough to go to Wilson's and get something so we could do a stunt safely. Wow. <laughs> there it is. That's... <laughs> no, no more electrical tape for us. Wow. <laughs> nope. That's... Uh... <sighs> These are great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a lot more out of these questions than I had anticipated. This is awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you guys have planned for Halloween? Parties, Universal Horror Nights, trick or treating, uh, ghost hunting, an abandoned hospital built on a Native American pet cemetery. What do you, what do you guys have got going on? Ooh, I'm gonna go to a real hospital dressed like a ghost and just see what happens. Yeah. Why? Why? No. Are you <laughs> Goodness gracious! Well, can we get him, sir? Why did you guys ever been the collector? Either one of you. That good gracious. Uh, uh well, no. I, I no, know I, Patrick. Patrick has been the collector. He was the collector in the movie. Uh, there's so many people played played that character to for pickup shots and different depending but, on the angle or the the type of pose. But it's it's a goodie. But for Halloween though, like at a party, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Not like at a professional you're on set, but like actually you know going trick or treating <laughs> with your kids. And- oh yeah. Um, well, I, I uh, one of our producers, Brett Forbes, would go. He actually has the. I think he still has the mask for that. Uh, that that's the best part. Yeah, and, and it's kind of cool. Uh, so you have the he mask. has the one built for built for wearing. I have one that's on a bus that's like uh, formed to a uh, like a it's like one that you you take a mold from. So oh, it's, it's 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 like welded on there. Um, right. So it won't erode because we made them out of latex. You know they don't like they don't last. They disintegrate. Right. Uh, but then there was another this one run where I think uh, I want to say Brett's got this one that's really cool because it doesn't it, it, from what I can tell it doesn't corrode. Uh, but that that was neat. Uh, and so you could kind of see it. But it it's in real life. My gosh, you take that outside, it just looks like you're with the absolute worst of stalkers it's just like oh gosh that's disturbing you know uh <laughs> yeah, better better change into beetlejuice people kind of think that. and you know there's going to be one guy who's going to be like so you're the collector eh, i've seen better <laughs> when you're wearing the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't buy it i don't buy it where'd there's you buy that people we, we've there's a few people we ran into that have pretty good uh collector outfits like yeah like they uh yeah, like they, you know, they have like the the, the knife and and like really have done good jobs of it. But but it's hard though because it's like, I mean, we kind of put the collection together like, uh, you know, with bits and pieces when we were making the movie. So it's like it wasn't um, it was just we had we used which was was available, and sometimes it's hard to find what was suddenly what was available at a certain moment. Like you know, do you know what I mean? Like so yeah. yeah. So like I mean like the mask is just that's a tough one. The mask the mask is tricky, and then the uh, like the gloves are really annoying. Like there's there's black latex gloves, and anyone who's ever worn those know how just annoying they are. Like they are, it's so gross. You put them on for ten seconds, and like your hands are like, but there's no there's no ventilation, so your hand is sweating, and so we take them off, and it's like they're just come drenched in sweat. It's pretty gross. I wonder if black and they're annoying would work. Yeah, it probably would. <laughs> just kidding. Although good, good luck getting that off. That's the only thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, but I was thinking about it this year. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. You totally. I don't should. really dress as anything because I like. It's like the area where I live in is really intense on uh, Halloween, and so I'm, I'm generally having to like work, like work the kids. You know, like oh, right. there's thousands of pieces, pieces of candy to give out. It's crazy. But that's so, like the perfect time to do it. I don't know, but then, but then, but then, like, <laughs> dressed as the collector, it's like little kids, and they get terrified, and then you know, it's like <laughs> thing, so. that's true. Um, favorite Halloween candy, Patrick? Uh, well, I mean, you know, nowadays it's pretty, it's pretty standard, which is regular candy. You know, like it's like the chocolate bars, like uh, you know, like Snickers or whatever. I like Snickers because Snickers. I think it's because they're having advertising campaign. They convince you that it's actually like a healthy meal, like a healthy <laughs> meal substitute. Right, right, right. And so I'm like, I'm really having, like, oh, I should have a Snickers, even though it's 
it's like just because you put peanuts in it doesn't mean it's actually <laughs> right for you right but i i feel like it is so i'd say peanuts. i like snickers it's good so you're a health food nut guy although the thing is well the thing is you'll be doing it you'll go or i don't necessarily go tricking but like i'll raid my kids bags when they come back and you'll find something that's like oh my god i can't believe they still make that. they still have this yeah yeah, I mean, like, you forget, like, oh, I actually really do like hot tamales, or I really like Mike and I. Right. But, like, like, uh, was it Mike and I? Good and Plenty. What was, the, what was the one? Good and Plenty was a licorice one. What's the other one? Good and Fruity? Yeah. Remember, I it's think like. So. I know what you're talking like about. Good and Fruity. Good. <laughs> um, Marcus, favorite Halloween candy? Uh, uh, it's a real close tie between the miniature crunch bars, really enjoyed them, and the two packs of sweet tarts. And then, special shout out to two unsung heroes of uh, 1980s trick-or-treating. <laughs> there was this uh, family, and when I grew up, that gave out pennies. What? And, oh. and, and another one, and this is awesome. I wonder if they just... <laughs> They resented the kids, but they would be like lukewarm caramel apples, and, you, and you'd <laughs> open your bag and you'd see this thing coming towards it. Oh, no, 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 Every kid into the center like of a bag. <laughs> Trick and treat. <laughs> How did they not? They didn't wrap it or anything. They just threw it in. All right. Oh, maybe, maybe I just corded that. I don't know. That <laughs> was the trick. They're like, yeah. Here, here, comes, here, that go, kid. Kid. here comes that Marcus kid. Here comes that Marcus kid. Let's dump the apple. Take <laughs> <laughs> the wrapper off. Dump it in there. Um, well, maybe it was because this this was last year. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe that's why. He's not dressed as a collector. Well, I, 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 do, I, do, I do always have because I'll have an extra bag. You don't even get that bag of like a thousand pieces of hard candy. And it's all the lamest, most, right. like brandless uh, candy you can get. Yeah. I always have those on, on hand just just in case the adult comes by that has no costume. You just nice. give them that. Nice. You got to be prepared. So they feel the, they feel the shame as well. <laughs> Like, like, no kid, no costume, just some weird adult with a, with a pillowcase yeah. as their bag. Right. Um. So <laughs> when they gave you the pennies, Marcus, uh, how many yeah. did you get? Did you get like a handful, or did you just get like one or two? Well, you kind of you don't know what to do because it's just like what. And then I think the, if I remember correctly, the the dude at the door was just kind of throwing them in our general direction, like <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he was actually throwing pennies at you. He wasn't offering them to you. This, uh, that... you know, like here, here's his the, the bowl of pennies, like rested, uh-huh. you know, in kind of cradled in one arm, and then the hand, not unlike a uh, a little carding game, goes in and then just goes flop, <laughs> flop, flop, flop. Like, oh, <laughs> hey, wait. Speaking of, what wasn't Trick or Treat Two supposed to be out this year? I don't know. I don't know, right? I mean, that was like an announcement. I mean, I are we completely so. going going full circle back to, you know, yeah, Halloween and movie movies that are supposed to be out now. Thought that was a plan. Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I, think I don't know. Look that I don't up. Remember? Somebody look that up. Uh, <laughs> well, I knew something was up. The year was like it was October, and Foxcatcher came out. <laughs> like, wait, Foxcatcher. Oh, Foxcatcher. Well, I want to say it was released in October. It is like I know it's like the pre-Oscar push. Oh, Argo, but Argo, Argo was as well. Argo was like that's right, like, October twenty-first or something like that. Goodness, they, they do that because they're like, oh, I get. I mean, that's counter-programming, I suppose. And I guess, I guess. Having confidence that it's going to stick around, right? Well, Birth of a Nation just opened, right? You don't think of Halloween? Yeah, If it's Halloween, it's got to be Birth of a Nation, right? Uh, I, my goodness. Well, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, that yeah, that that that's definitely gearing up for a 
a campaign of some sort. Man, wow. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, according yeah. to an article in August, uh, Warner Brothers shelved Trick or Treat sequel, and but Legendary, uh, quote unquote, Legendary Pictures is very committed to making the movie. So I don't know. That's where it well, stands, I guess. Considering, not... considering Warner Brothers shelved the first one, yeah. uh, but it, you know, found life because Legendary would not be the would not be denied. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure Legendary would just make it if they want to make it. Yeah. Although different different people are in charge now, they may not want to make it. So who knows? But anyway, that'd be a bummer. For you. I hope it does. I, I, I like hope it. it does get made. That that first one was so so fun. Yeah, like my, my gosh, that was a great movie. It was. Uh, um, I have a question for you guys. Um, hmm? what's with all the creepy clowns around the country trying to lure kids into the woods? Is that like a promotional stunt you guys have set up for uh, a new film you guys are working on? Because that is truly horrifying. Huh. What's going on with that? And that is like I finally uh, was it uh, I saw some posting this week of like police just straight up arresting people dressed as clowns. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the joke may have just played out. Right. <laughs> you're with, Wasn't you're within it? proximity of a horror attraction, it, great. But I I don't know I uh, it's seeing a clown anywhere, even in a circus, is, can be intimidating. Yeah. But that's just whoa. Spreading the trauma. And then I think there was another release, like uh, the production company behind the new adaptation of It claims no responsibility right. or affiliation right. with right. yeah creepy dudes trying to lure kids into the woods. Like, no, no, that's probably a criminal. Right. <laughs> yeah. that, that scenario rarely ends well or in a good rib tickling joke. Right. <laughs> Remember that time we dressed up like clowns and tried to abduct kids? That was so funny. Uh-huh. Well, it yeah, yeah. yikes! <laughs> it is it is creepy. It is creepy. Yeah. Um, I asked you this last time. Uh, right. Collector three. When does shooting start, and what is the expected release date? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think I think it's on a double bill with Trick or Treat two. Okay. Think, uh, we're gonna oh. tour together. <laughs> <laughs> so soon. That's uh. That's a yeah. There you go. Well, that, that's it's always a tricky one because uh, you have to raise the right budget, have to ne- negotiate the right rights, but uh, there's there's a desire to to revisit that world and 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 have a nice you know yeah we all want to do it that would be great uh, but since we made the first one to today uh, the architecture of how to get something like that made is has only become trickier and and yet. The, the means that it can be released and seen have become much more vast. It doesn't have to uh, come out in, in the same way. So we'll see. We'll try to stay as nimble and as passionate and smart about how to put something together. And if we get a chance to do it and do it right, um, and by right, I mean something that's fitting because it's kind of, gosh, cosmetically, if you made the first one and it was in a house and then the second one had you know big explosions and machine guns and it had, just had more spectacle, you you almost don't want to pull any punches when it comes to a third, so it has to feel like a natural progression while still adhering to the the, the modern architecture of how to get something like that done. Right. So it's 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 one uh, it's one if it's like well if this can be the best one if it has a chance to be uh, a fitting a fitting conclusion then great let's go. Have you guys written a script for it yet? Just out of curiosity. Uh, there was a draft done, uh, gosh, a few years ago, uh, right on the eve of the second one coming out, and it was, and it, it, it just, it was built to be an even bigger, bigger movie than the yeah. second one in terms of budget and scale and whatnot, and and any more. And at this day and age, it, it would be a cost prohibitive event <laughs> to make that. <laughs> Uh, there was an airport during a snowstorm with, nice. you know, helicopters and, you know, methane gas tanks and, and, oh gosh, it was, it, it had a lot of, a lot of big, big stuff in there that, that would have been a bit, uh, that anymore it's, it's, you can't trap that idea in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, back to something we talked about earlier, if we were going to make it, it has to be reconceived to a certain extent because it just would have to be you know manageable financially right. because right. it's just 
it's just how, that's just the nature of it, which isn't, wouldn't necessarily be a bad bad idea because you know the the last one got a little it was pretty big, right? So unless you know, unless you're willing to spend twenty million dollars, you can't get much bigger than that. So the alternative would probably be just switch things up a little bit, and make it perhaps more intimate and scary and creepy and focused. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you guys, you never know. You never know. Well, well, um. Maybe all it takes is uh, Patrick dressing as the collector for Halloween, and that'll you know spur this movement, mm. this collector movement. Filming on a, yes, filming on an iPhone. Yeah. Um, sure. Or maybe you got to put some clowns, <laughs> clowns in it, or something. I don't. Collector, collector meets clown. Yeah, the collector meets the clowns. I don't the know. crossover version, yeah, like the old, a... like the old Universal. Sure, why not? Um, that sounds fun. That was actually kind of a, an interesting uh, question in terms of if you could uh, make a film combining two of your favorite sort of horror characters, whether it's the Jasons or the Freddy Krueger, what would be mm-hmm. ideal for you? What, what what do you think would be the coolest? You know, uh, you know Leatherface, Pinhead, whatever. Um, Patrick, I'll start with you. Well, the thing was, we were we were as an audience yeah. teased by something years ago, yeah. and there was and we we even read the the outline. It was uh, Jason versus Freddy versus Ash. Ah, and from and I and so like you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go and play with those. I mean, when I was a kid, actually, the thing the the first thing I tried to write a screenplay that was like a battle royale or between all the horror icons. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, like, if you, if you know if you're gonna do that gimmick. Uh, you you know might want to go all the, the entire go the whole sure, way. Sure, why not? Right, really, really, really do it. So, because uh, I, I like Jason versus Freddy, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like we, Marcus and I saw it opening weekend, I think in Burbank, wasn't it, Marcus? And uh, uh, yeah, did really well. Yeah, and then, and then yes. I guess those are just hard to wrangle because of the rights, and so, some lend themselves to those types of things better than others. Like I like, you know, I don't like. And we can we can sort of visualize a Mike, Michael Myers doing that, but it doesn't seem like he'd be in that that world necessarily. Um, right. But he'd be a fun opponent, wouldn't he? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just meant in a fantasy world, given carte blanche. I know, I know. Well, I'd, I'd say the, I'd, I'd like the battle royale version. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, uh, Marcus, oh, that's easy. It's the Bogans versus Squirm. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, in the way. Made it. You remember? Oh, gosh. Is, I, I may have just got a little too uh, indie there. The Boogans, <clears throat> the Boogans was this movie. I don't, I don't know if it's ever been released on DVD or whatnot, but you could see it. <laughs> and it was a monster movie and these things called the Boogans. Doggone it. They got into the mine shafts again. And you'd have these folks that somehow convince themselves, well, we better go into the mine shafts and look for them. And then, oh, and then they, they, you'd see these tubes come down and the actor would scream and be yanked in the air. And then Squirm was that movie about uh, the killer worms. And so it would be a pretty quiet horror movie because <laughs> neither entity, I don't think, talked. <laughs> but... Hmm. Uh, yeah, that that was not a that, not necessarily a serious uh, answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the poster for that. Yeah, the, yes, right? uh, oh, the squirm beneath the earth, <laughs> <laughs> where no one can hear you scream. Um, not at all. Well, I uh, felt like I, I, it would be something to pick. I don't know who the the best opponent would be, but there is something uh, about what if you took a Gosh, it would have to be someone in the you know, Norman Bates in the Hitcher. Oh wow! Someone where you have like someone who's kind of a cunning traveler who takes life, and the guy who operates the way station where he judges life. Right. And see uh, what would happen if those two paths crossed. And I, I, I kind of see the uh, Professor X Magneto version of a of a horror thriller. Right. Like, huh. <laughs> Two two judgment systems in place playing out overnight with some you know, folks in the middle. It's very psychological. Yeah, <laughs> I like that psychological horror thriller. Um, there it is. <laughs> um, 
cool. I think that uh, we're starting to run short on time. So uh, I wanted to encourage everyone to check out Marcus and Patrick's latest film, The Neighbor, which is out now on demand, digital HD, DVD, Blu-ray. It's got four stars on Amazon. Perfect for your Halloween parties, especially because once you've seen Ouija 2, you got nothing else to see this month. Um, so get that. Uh, and follow these guys on Twitter, if you aren't already, at Marcus Dunstan and at Patrick W. Melton. So we call Patrick W. from now on, right? Um, yeah, well, yeah, there's absolutely. a stand-up comedian who has my same name. Unacceptable. I know. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> I, I've been on his show before. Actually. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I think well, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. Oh. Yeah. He, he lives out here. Huh. He's so, funny. He's funny. Like, uh, he has a, a comedy show that you actually went to, and he brought you on, or no? Was he, like... uh, he had a pod, he had a pod, podcast yeah. type yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Small world. Yeah. Yeah. Man, did you demand to get the actual Patrick Melton back from him, or you just well, let it lie? I'm, 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 I'm his senior, so by definition, yeah, he co- copied me. Okay. <laughs> <So>. All right. <laughs> And uh, you, you can't follow any of us on Photo Bucket. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on, guys. I appreciate it. Happy Halloween to you. Guys. Thank you. Um, Happy Halloween. For, yeah. And for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at Scriptscribes, and you can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus, which no one ever uses. And of course, on our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Thank you all for listening. I had I blow up so quick Because I got the type of rhymes to keep it cracking like a glow stick I run through beds like my name was Joe McCarthy And everywhere I go I start the party Hardly starving, I'm an MC cannibal Can't stop sp-